Well, Marcus, we can't start today's episode without thanking our wonderful sponsors. We'll start off with Gavos Freight Solutions. Capital Edge. Millianmar. Retrojet Prints. Without these wonderful people, we couldn't do the things that we do and bring you the guests that we do. So if you could take a moment to check them out and all our podcast descriptions and Instagram pictures and all the rest of it, it'd be a big help to us and to them. But without further ado, we'll get into the episode. He got a bit carried away, Brendan. That's not like Brendan to get carried away, is it? No, not at all. What a time to be alive. Save us a go. Disposal efficiency. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 80 of the Pressure Point podcast. I'm joined as always by my legendary co-host Quinn DeLuca. How are you going mate? Mate, I'm, I'm incredible after that intro. I've never been called the legendary co-host before. It was slightly patronising but I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> How are you mate? Yeah, no, going well mate, going well. I just thought I'd, I'd call you a legend because we've got an absolute legend on the show tonight. It's a fitting term for the guests that we have on, that's for sure. Yeah, so we've got uh, St Kilda Hawthorne and Sydney champion Played 291 games, 383 goals. Peter Spider Everett, what a man. Mate, it was an absolute pleasure to have him on for a chat and just what a character of the game that he was. So, yeah, something to really look forward to and um, I hope you enjoy the chat we have with him. All right, Pressure Point fans, we have a very, very, very special guest on this afternoon's podcast. We have AFL Royalty. We've got 291 game player with St Kilda, Hawthorne and Sydney. 383 goals. He's a three-time All-Australian and our Gold Coast local and breakfast radio host. His name is Peter Spider Everett. Spider, welcome. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the Gold Coast, we're still up and running. We're still alive here. We haven't left anywhere. So, no, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure to have you on, mate, like we said. And we touched a little bit about it off air, but for those that are living in Melbourne and unsure what life is like outside the four walls of the um, Victorian state, what's life been like for you um, throughout the pandemic? Oh, look, you know, we all bag our premiers, but, uh, you know, we've been pretty lucky. We've been, you know, southeast Queensland and the whole of Queensland. You know, we saw we had the AFL grand final last year. We had the NRL grand final this year. Um, you know, we, we, I went to a function on the weekend at the casino with a thousand people there. Um, mind you, a lot of the a lot of people were you know still not used to going out into big crowds or even to functions where you get dressed up. So I knew a few of the guys where their suits didn't really fit them anymore. They had to get new <laughs> new shirts and a few girls. Uh, the the dresses no longer fit. So if you are in Victoria and I know you're about to come into lockdown or whatever happens over the next couple of months, just go and check your suits and your dresses in case you've been invited to a wedding or a gathering and you might need at a Christmas party. Whatever it is, because um, yeah, we've been we've been very very lucky. It's been interesting because we're right on the border of New South Wales and Queensland. But um, yeah, look, Queenslander, we cannot complain. Yeah, no, we're very jealous of you down here in uh, Victoria for sure. And look, we come prepared into these podcasts. So I've done my research. I know the answer to the next question already. But for those at home, I'd be doing an injustice by not asking. Where'd the nickname Spider come from? I know it used to be Stalker, which let's just say is probably a good thing that's not still the name going around. Why Spider? Oh, look, it's really, uh, to be honest, um, I think it was because I had dreadlocks and you're tall and lanky and, you know, people just started calling me Spider and then, uh, you know, it just grew and grew and grew. And now actually people don't even know my real name. They only ever say Spider. Like even all my work emails are Spider, not um, Peter, because they didn't know my real name was Peter. So, yeah, that's all it was. You know, the dreadlocks, which was like Daniel Longlegs and Huntsman's Legs, and then it just uh, grew. And then, 
when we were playing, of course, we had Spider Burton also in um, Fremantle. So, you know, I got invited to a few functions and they were expecting Spider Burton and Spider Burton got to a few functions and they were expecting me. So, yeah, we had a couple of the spiders there. So, interesting. You touched on the the hairstyle and the dreadlocks and from someone who's a little bit follically challenged, such as myself, it's uh, it's interesting to see some of these hairstyles <laughs> go around. Was it was that a bit of the sign of the times or were you a bit of an innovator back then with the crazy hairstyles? Oh, look, you would have had a fair, fair doing your day. I reckon the mullet would have come out back in. <laughs> Once upon a time, mate. <laughs> Once upon a time. Yeah, look, it was, it was interesting. I, um, well, I started with the dreams. I actually got, when I first got picked to go and play for the St Kilda under-19s, I had my hair in braids and beads. So it was, and I got told to take the beads out because um, of, you know, tackling and, and that around football. So um, I've always had those kind of hairstyles. I remember my daughter's first day of school, I had green hair, but I don't know, just, I think you do it, put a little bit of pressure on yourself, but um, yeah, I just uh, enjoyed, you know, I suppose mixing it up a little bit, having a bit of fun with the hair and uh, you look like, Look back now and you think, yep, you're a total tool. But hey, you know what? That's what we do at that time. We think we're cool when we're not really. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it, love it. All right, well, let's uh, let's let's start talking some footy, and we'll uh, we'll wind it back right to to your early days and um, back to 1993 when you when you got picked up by the Saints, and it was the zoning system back then too. So um, you were a Mornington Peninsula boy, so you you were zoned to the Saints, weren't you? Yeah, well, I was played at Crib Point and then I went into Hastings and uh, Gary Collingcat, who, uh, you know, he was a coach of the under-19s. Uh, I played against the Suns, so they uh, ended up picking me up, played under-19s in the reserves. And, yeah, it was because we were zoned, even though the, the, the draft had come in, we were still zoned. So that's where we went. So, you know, St Kilda had the Mornington Peninsula and we got Stuart Lowe, Robert Harvey, Nathan Burke. Uh, all these guys coming out of the Mornington Peninsula. And we also had that area of Ballarat where, you know, Tony Lockett and Danny Foley and these kind of guys come from. So, yeah, it was the zoning system at that stage. And then it went into went into the draft. So kind of that last era of zoning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what, what about your what about your debut in 93? Do, do you, how, how well do you remember that now? I know a lot of players remember their, their first game, first goal. What was the experience like for you? Oh, well, when you first kick the goal, you always remember that, not to brag, but, you know, there's a limited flux, amount of blokes that were able to do it. But, no, I always remember, you know, heading down, heading down to Geelong for my first game and, you know, my dad and my grandfather at the stage were coming along for the ride and uh, going to have a look, you know, watch the game. And, you know, halfway up towards Geelong, up the uh, the Princess Highway or the highway there, my, my grandfather's gone, do you want a nip of scotch? Do you want, you know, just to calm the nerves? And I'm like, no, we don't do that. Not at, yeah, not at AFL level. So, um, yeah, and just even just running out. And I think, you know, you know, we had quite a few big names at the St Kilda Footy Club, which, you, you know, obviously you idolise with, you know, your Tony Lockett's and all that at full forward and, you know, your, your Robert Harvey's and your Laser Vivek and, you know, these guys, Nicky Wimmer and then, um, you know, on the other side of the, uh, you know, on the other side wearing the Geelong, you know, colours, you've got, you know, Billy Brownless and, uh, you know, Gary Ablett and Barry Stoneham and, and Buddha Hocking. So it was kind of that, um, you know, it, I think for any young bloke going in for their first game, it's a, that unreal, you know, it's, it's unreal, but it's that, you know, is this real? Is this true? You know, playing, playing AFL at its highest level. So, yeah, you always remember your first game. Yeah, uh, especially that, that era as well. The 90s is regarded as, as one of the best eras of uh, AFL oh. history. So um, with the players that you just reeled off there, you know, I mean, Tony Lockett in particular, like what was it like being you know, rocking up 
to St Kilda and you got, you know, arguably the greatest full forward of all time there? Well, I remember I never really went to the footy a lot. You know, when I was growing up, you know, my whole family were mad Collingwood supporters and mum and dad thought it was too dangerous for me to go to a, a Victoria Park with my cousins. And, um, you know, I, I still remember sitting in the Moorabbin change rooms after playing a seconds game and then seeing this played afterwards and you just hear this massive roar and they go, yeah, Plugger's got the footy. And, you know, you just, every time he got the footy, there was just this huge roar at Moorabbin. And that used to be the days of, you know, they used to go from one end to another to, to follow the full forward. So it was just, um, you know, it was just one of those blokes that um, always had that aura about him. Just, uh, you know, his, his training styles were a bit more lenient than what we were, we were asked to do. But he also trained away from the footy club a fair bit. You know, he was, he loved, you know, he loved his footy, but he didn't really, you know, love that, you know, everyone in 24-7. You know, he went and did his weight somewhere else and got himself right each day. But, um, you know, when you ran out, with uh, you know Tony Lockett at, at one end, you're always a lot more uh, confident. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. Um, all right, let's fast forward a couple of years and to, to 1996. You, you won the preseason premiership with the Saints, and and back then the the preseason was a little bit more serious. Um, you know, players actually wanted to win it and and wanted to compete in it compared to now. And how was that experience winning it in '96? And did you think you guys were, were probably destined for, for bigger things that year? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I think um, you know, Stan Ellis did a really, really good job with the team. And you know, you're right that the preseason comp those days was was a big thing. You know, you you um, presented a trophy and everyone got around you. And I remember actually breaking my jaw in that game. Earl Sporting had punched me broken my jaw and uh, I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to go out and celebrate. So uh, I had to drink bourbon through a straw or not, but you know, that's what you did in the nineties. And uh, I celebrated And the next day on Sunday, I told the coaching staff and they reckon that uh, it happened at a nightclub that night. So I had to go and actually show them on tape the video. I said, no, have a look. This is what happened here. So um, yeah, I missed a couple of weeks with a broken jaw, but you know, all those, the memories and, you know, my mum used to keep everything in a scrapbook. So I've still got the scrapbook of the photos with all us, you know, sitting there. And, um, you know, the, the Saints have had, as we know, um, they've been long awaited to win any form of, um, you know, silverware that goes in the cabinet anywhere. But, you know, those days where you have, um, you know, people come in and say, you know, you've got you, you to think and believe and this is what you need. So, you know, 96 had its premiership, you know, yeah, the preseason premiership cup in the uh, in the trophy cabinet as you walked into the uh, into the Skilda Footy Club, and they had a spare little room ready for the '96 one, but um, that never happened. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the next year in '97, you, you guys got close. Um, I mean, your '97 season personally as well was 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 great. You know, you're all Australian, but. You missed the grand final, though. Um, what was, I mean, yeah, you finished on top of the ladder and then you missed the grand final. Like, how was that like, with the, the mixed emotions with with that sort of experience? Yeah, really hard. You know, at the time, it's um, yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, kind of at the time, uh, you, you, you try and think you're going to get up. And I suppose these days they would have probably, you know, broke my collarbone. So, those, you know, in, uh, broke the collarbone. Daryl White hip and shoulder me uh, when we are playing the Lions or the Bears and they uh, cost me, you know, probably six to eight weeks, grand finals four weeks later. So they would have probably pinned it and screwed it. You would have been targeted. But um, and there's a couple of things to it. One that, you know, I, I would have really loved to go up against Sean Wren 
two similar kind of players, two players in the same kind of form. Um, you know, on the biggest day in September or the biggest day in football, I would have loved to really have that challenge against uh, Sean Wren, um, which, you know, unfortunately we didn't get able to get up and do. But at the same time, you know, I was only 24 at the time and you're thinking, oh, well, this is going to go on forever. That's all right. We've got a good enough team. We're pre-season in 96, main one in 97. We'll be back here in 98. And, gee, it's just you, you don't know, you don't realise when you're that young how hard it is to you know, get into the top four and then obviously in the top two and make a grand final. And, you know, the Saints are, are still trying. So every year it gets that little bit harder and you just hope that, you know, they can get to that that last day in September and win it for all those all those diehard Saints fans out there. And, you know, we've seen it over the last few years, you know, to see Melbourne win this weekend, uh, you, know, um, you know, this year and the Bulldogs winning a few years ago, just what it means you don't realise what it means to supporters and how much passion and that they love when you are playing, when, you know, you, you, you just, uh, you know, that's what you do. You, you know, you go out there on the weekends and perform, but when the heartache's there and then, you know, we're unable to control that anymore and you sit, you, know, you, you realise and you talk to people exactly what it feels here. Yeah, it gets harder and harder, but you just hope one day they get it. I think... With it, putting it into perspective, I think almost the longer you wait, the sweeter it will taste when it finally does come to success. Not to say you wouldn't have preferred to have it earlier, but I think when it finally yeah. does come, it will be, it will be really special. Um, earlier on, you mentioned some of the great names that you've played with and alongside, and arguably none better than Robert Harvey, who did win back-to-back Brownlows. Be honest with this. Would he have won either of those Brownlows if he didn't have you hitting it down his throat every week? Oh, um, oh, look, Rovers are only as good as their Ruckman. There's no doubt. Um, you know, look at Maxi Gorn uh, on, the, on the year we've had. So, look, I, I was fortunate enough to win halves two brown lows. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could have hit it to Nathan Burke quite easily. And, uh, yeah, Burke, could have two as well. So, now, look, I think, <laughs> oh, look when, you, when you see these guys behind, and, look, I, I've had a blessed career of being, have, have, you know, having a – some gun midfielders around us to be able to play alongside. And, uh, you know, when you look at Robert Harvey's work rate and even Nathan Burke and these blokes, and, you know, you say, you know, we used to use the time on the clock. We're hitting at 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock long, you know, 6 o'clock. We had certain calls for, like, you know, the Robert Harvey ball or Redips, which is spider backwards. And we had all these calls. And as a ruckman, when you, when you flush it down, you know, one of your midfielders' throats and they then, you know, peel out the back and they're free and they hit like a Stuart Lowe who comes out and marks the footy who turns around and then kicks a load long to a Jason Heatley or, you know, you see Maxi Gorn straight down Petrarca's throw who then takes a bounce and kicks a goal. You kind of, you know, that's the thrill in what you get. And, you know, these guys, the, you know, the midfielders, the amount they work and, you know, the, the work rate and Robert Harvey in the 90s worked harder than no other away from the, away from football, just getting himself right and getting his bodies right. And, um, you know, he, he, he was definitely you know, the bloke that everybody looked up to in the way of work rate. Yeah, absolutely. I think Robert Harvey was uh, a beacon of, of, of how to work hard during that, during that period. And I think a lot of players um, idolised him with his work rate. Oh. And, you know, he, was, he was an absolute gem to and, watch. And, yeah. and unbelievable. I think, uh, you know, I think he played 21 odd years and never changed his hairstyle once. It was, it was <laughs> like a, that Lego figurine just never, ever moved. It was just the best mop of hair you've ever seen. That didn't matter how far he ran or what he did, it just stayed strong. 
I can just picture him going home, <laughs> lifting the hair up, putting it on the bedside table. Yeah. Going up the next day. Yeah. That's exactly what he does. I reckon he's got three or four different lots and he just like a Bert Newton straight on. Uh, <laughs> love it. Um, uh, all right, well, let's, let, let's fast forward a couple more years and uh, to 2001 where you joined an illustrious club and, and winning the Trevor Barker medal at the Saints. Do you reckon 2001 was, was one of your best years, if not your best, um, along with, you know, 97 as well? Yeah, I think, you know, still 97, you know, that kind of era was probably, uh, you know, one of my better years. Um, and then, you know, I think, yeah, like like any player, the older you get, the more consistent you get um, and you're able to, you know, those kind of years, you think of the, you know, the mid-90s and, you know, you see these guys kicking a goal and coming off. Um, you know, I think it was either, you know, one of those years, I can't remember exactly which one, but I played every minute of every game. So, you know, stayed on the ground for the, the whole entire season. So the longevity of being able to play um, and consistently as well. And, you know, I think, and I'd still like to see these days is a lot more Ruckman go forward and, uh, you know, make a difference in the forward pocket. You know, we're able to do that in the nineties and, you know, there's a lot of us that did it. You know, you can go through a whole list of the Ruckman we used to compete against. And that was a, a part of the sport you played, you know, 60, 70% in the Ruck and then 30 up forward. So yeah, look, 91 was kind of that, I mean, 2001. Yeah. It was just the, just learning more about yourself and, and, and knowing what you need to do. And plus, yeah, we, we got drilled a lot earlier in our career that we're lazy, we're inconsistent, um, we're unprofessional. So there's a few things personally that I wanted to change and I was able to change over a period of time and, you know, that definitely helped my footy. You touched on Ruckman being able to go forward and kick goals and that's becoming a lot more prominent in the AFL today and, you, you know, you see guys like Max Gorn in the last game of the season kicks the winning goal and how, how important was that back then? And do you think it's obviously, I mean, I mean, no, it's a good thing that it's coming back now, but how important do you think it is that Ruckman are able to go forward and kick goals? Because you did quite well, a good job of it. Yeah, well, right at the start, you know, you, you rewind right back to the early 90s, as, you know, kind of like myself and Corey McKernan, Jeff Watt was a couple of years later, but, you know, um, you, know, you had big Alex Ashenko and uh, these kind of fellas who, you know, Laser Vitovic, who, you know, would pretty much take a ruck tap, try and belt the shit out of you really, and then go for a kick behind the ball. Um, so when we started running forward and then taking marks and kicking goals, then they had to start putting people on us that actually could run and protect and, you know, play that, play that you know, defender because, you know, if we, if we got the ball and we started running, um, they had to catch us. So I think it's really important. And, um, you know, even talking about the grand final, I think the key to the grand final was the fact of, um, you know, Maxi Gorn, trying to hold Maxi Gorn down, what do you want to try and do on him? You want to try and kick a goal on him so it makes him defend so he's not so so attacking. So I think um, it is a, a vital role for Ruckman to be able to have do both, be a Ruckman, no doubt, be able to defend so your Ruckman don't kick goals, but more importantly, you get down and snag one at, at crucial times just to keep them honest. And, you know, it's a, it then becomes a really good game of Russian roulette and, uh, you know, by the end of the 90s, most Ruckman could kick goals. You know, you, you, you're in a marking contest and, you know, against West Coast Eagles and two, late, two seconds later, you turn around and you see Dean Cox 60 metres away running forward and you think, shit, I'm in trouble here. So it really makes you start taking the Ruckman into a whole different category. Absolutely. The Ruckman's game is forever evolving, I guess, like every other position. And that gets nailed down at training, which St Kilda were infamous for some interesting uh, training or training drills, I guess you could say. And none of oh. 
none more famous than the Nepean Highway Hucker, um, just beside oh Moorabbin. Talk us through it because I know a little bit about the situation, but for a lot of people might not be aware, you were down Nepean Highway in Moorabbin there doing the Hucker on the main road. What was going on? Elsie uh, loves it. Stan Elsie loves it. <laughs> no one, I don't know what Elsie was thinking, but look, he was a fantastic coach and he was probably ahead of his time. But we used to go to uh, Denny Park, which is uh, around about a cane and a half from Moorabbin and we'll do our training down there. And we had to cross the Nepean Highway uh, in, in Melbourne. So one of the busiest strips right there on the corner of South Road and the Nepean Highway. And I don't know what else he got thinking. Imagine trying to do that these days. He got all the players in the, me, in the uh, medium strip right in the middle. So you got cars going one way, cars going the other. And he would stand and he would point left and he'd point right. And he had to kind of, you know, do your quick feet, quick feet, quick feet, move left, left. And when he went down, you had to go down and get back up. And if he says jump, you go and jump. But it was just a kind of a, a good little team bonding thing. Did the t- boys take the piss out of it? Yes, we did. But we all did enjoy it. You know, it's maybe not in the middle of the Nepean Highway. At, at training, <laughs> it was okay for a little bit of fun. And Elsie used to, and he, he'd wrap it up and send us off and uh, let us go into the change rooms. And the boys would be all screaming and cheering and yelling and clapping. So it was a good little bonding thing. Yeah, it was weird, but I tell you, it wasn't the weirdest thing I've heard from coaches do. So I think for Elsie, it was, uh, it was fun for him. Weird for us, but still we enjoyed it. I was driving home tonight, past um, Dendy Park there on South Road. Yeah. I saw it and I was just thinking to myself, I don't know how on earth they did this because you couldn't do it now. You couldn't nah, do it now. No way. Not in the middle of the plane highway. Even running down there. Like we'll just jog down there with our boots and, and then do our 4, 4K time trials or whatever and run back. And, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, different times. But at the same time, it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was funny. Uh, that is brilliant. Love it. Uh, well, you, you left all the uh, interesting training sessions and, and um, activities behind and you you moved on from the Saints and, and you went to the Hawks in, in 2003. Uh, how was that experience? I mean, you know, was it was it tough leaving the Saints, um, you know, obviously starting your career there and being there for so long and then moving to a new club? Yeah, it was. I've always, yeah, everybody would love to be a one, one club player, there's no doubt. And, uh, you know, I'm still associated with the Saints today. And, you know, it's amazing. Also, a lot of the volunteers are still there. But, um, yeah, my career was at a, a tough spot where, you know, the perception out there wasn't great in myself and found myself on the front page of the paper probably too many times rather than the back pages. So my mum always said, I know when you're in trouble when I see you on the front page of the paper. And uh, it was far too often. And I, I did want a, a change of scenery um, and try and change that perception out there because I, I didn't believe it was right. So for me, um, we had a chat with Collingwood. Uh, and uh, and then um, you know St Kilda did the the deal with Hawthorne. You know the deal was you know those days you don't you didn't have a, a choice. You know the trade period went for two days. Um, you had forty eight hours to find a trade. Your manager did it all. It had to be done by I think it was two o'clock. And I still remember I was at um, a function down at uh, the the Formula One track at Albert Park in um, in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, the phone rang at five minutes to two and he said, uh, congratulations, you're going to Hawthorne. So went down to Hawthorne with, uh, you know, Swabby and Croft and, you know, all those, you know, uh, Jade Rawlings and those kind of fellas. And uh, I did, I really looked forward to it and um, just wanted to, you know, put my best foot forward, you know, try and, you know, get that perception of, you know, train hard, play hard. And um, I think I was able to do that and change that around at Hawthorne, being a family club and, yeah, me having oh, how many daughters I have, 
one by then or maybe two, but yeah, a couple of kids, uh, it was just a, a good fit for me at the time. You touched on the trade period being only two days. We've obviously just come out of this year's trade period, which was um, about two weeks. How long do you think trade period should, um, should run for being traded yourself? You know what it's all about. Do you think two weeks is too long? Way too long. I, I think, yeah, look, let's be honest. Clubs talk. They know what they want. They know what they need to do. Let's put the players out there. Let's start it on a Monday morning, wrap it up on Friday. I think two days is too short. You've got to really kind of nut things out. But still, it fascinates me that a club wants to get rid of you, but they 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 put a high price on you. And the club, you know, like, but hang on, they want to get rid of you, but they think you're worth an absolute truckload. And the club that want you, don't want to pay anything for you. And it's like, well, hang on, I, I just don't, this, these two worlds should not, uh, shouldn't happen. But uh, yeah, I reckon a five-day trade period would be good for everyone. Get in, get out. And, you know, you got to think of, you know, a lot of people forget this is, this is your livelihood. If I don't get traded, I don't get picked up. This is my, this is my shop. You know, my arms and my legs, are, that's my business. And, um, you know, you're playing with people's careers and lives um, in over two weeks. And it's a really nervous, you know, Hard time for a lot of players going through it. If they are, if they're not going to get picked up, do they nominate for the draft? So, I, I think um, you know they could be it could be a lot better ran and a lot quicker. Yeah, for sure. I mean, geez, a two day two day trade period, geez, that would be absolute chaos. I think the, oh, the media was, would go nuts. Yeah. yeah, it was epic, but it was good. You know, they all and it had to be done. And, and you know, you, you're thinking at the times. You can't just email. This was the faxes. The faxes <laughs> had to get through to AFL House by two o'clock all signed. So, you know, if the fax was playing up, you're running three doors down to another fax machine to make sure it gets through to our house. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, well, your, your early part of your career at Hawthorne was good. I mean, you, you won the, the Peter Crimmins medal in 2004 and, um, and a pretty lean time as well for the Hawks. Um, I mean, you, you look at the success that they've had over the last, last 10 to 15 years and it's hard to believe that they had such a lean period. But during that period, it was, it was pretty tough for him, and, um, and you, you managed to win a Peter Crimmins medal, which is another another huge um, achievement. So, how, how was that period through that you know 03, 04, 05 period at the Hawks? Yeah, it's interesting. It was a it was a different setup for myself as well. Their training programs was com- completely different to what it was uh, at St Kilda, and as you say, it was a really lean period, but a, a period I enjoyed because there's a few things I learned about football clubs that I didn't see. Um, at St Kilda and one was you know just the success that Hawthorne had had that so many of the ex-players would come down Dermy would be at training you go to Adelaide and Johnny Platt would be in the change rooms and you know there was just a always former players coming in Dermot Burton being involved in the football club and you know as a as a player I really enjoyed that you really got a feel of what the footy club was was about and uh, you know the the, the family club it was labelled at as uh, I yeah, you really felt at home. And um, unfortunately, you know, Swabby was a great coach as well, but then he wasn't given the opportunity to, you know, rebuild. And, you know, we're able to see what they're able to do off a rebuild. But, you know, they might have had some lean times, but those lean times do help you with draft picks and being able to get some number one picks into the fold. And, you know, that that's what they're able to do. And realistically, if you look at who, you know, their picks over that period of time, if they didn't have those picks... They wouldn't have won the the four premierships and the triple peak. So that sometimes you sit there and go, you know, okay, it was a lean time. And, you know, unfortunately we were a part of it. I just say, yeah, we helped set them up and then we let them, you know, have their glory. But, uh, you know, you just, there's one thing of being able to 
draft, but then you'd be able to draft and keep the players and then maintain them. And that's what they're able to do. So they did an unbelievable job to be able to keep them. Every, every club's tried to do exactly the same, but they've been able to do it. Yeah, I think Hawthorne have done it better than arguably any other club. And like you said, yeah. you know, like the triple Pete, and then they obviously won that other one in 2008. There was one more trade that went down in your career. You moved up to Sydney and change of scenery for you. What, what was that like being traded to the Swans and obviously, you know, leaving Melbourne and going to a completely new state? And how, how has that all gone down for you? Yeah, look, there's two sides to this one. It was probably the toughest year in football in 06. Um, you know, I tried to get to Sydney at the end of 05 because uh, I knew Jason Ball was retiring. Sydney won the flag. And I know that Sydney go for, you know, if they if they, you know, they rate their ruckman. So it was like, okay, I can take over from Jason Ball pretty quickly and easily here. And I was willing to go. Um, Hawthorne didn't do the trade. So I was left playing Hawthorne, you know, in 06. And, uh, you know, didn't go down that well, which is fair enough. I understand um, when players in AFL put up their hand and they want to go. It's not like the NRL and other sports where, you know, you can play with a team and at the end of that year, you, you everyone knows you're going. Um, you know, and I respect that about AFL. So, you know, no longer in the leadership group and a few pit, few of the boys uh, questioned me. And, you know, I, I thought the first half of the year was all right. Played okay, then got injured and uh, had an ankle operation and then just, um, you know, was told to go and do as I please because, you know, they're going to trade me at the end of the year and head up to Sydney. So, look, I, I, I was pumped to go to Sydney. I was excited. I didn't know, you know, what was going to unfold at Hawthorne. Nobody did. Alistair Clarkson had come in with a whole new formula. And uh, we know, you know, looking back now, that formula definitely worked. Could I have been there in 08? Maybe. But it wasn't to be. I was in, um, I was in Sydney in 07 and 08. But, you know, going to the Harbour City and, and seeing a club outside of Melbourne was it was fantastic. And I recommend it for anybody who's AFL fans to go and actually have a look and maybe walk through the Sydney Swans and see how they operate and, and see how different it is. I still remember rocking up to a pre-season and, yeah, there would have been a 1,000 kids out the front of the SCG ready to go into the cricket. And myself and Barry Hall had to walk in and do a, uh, do a weight session. We walked in. And not one kid said hello to either of us. More important, Barry Hall, who's the premiership captain of that football club, no kid knew any of them. And it was just like, mate, if that was in Melbourne, you wouldn't have got anywhere near the door, you know, at that stage. Uh, so it was really fascinating to see the difference. But at the same time, to see a football club ran so well and uh, to see, you know, you haven't got a whole list of um, superstars, but their commitment to training, their commitment to each other, you know, this blood's culture and how that evolves and, and just, just, yeah, just, just the way they go about their footy day-to-day life and the, the structure of everything. Um, I've, I've taken that into things I've done after football is the way the Sydney Swans structure their whole football club is remarkable and that's why they have so much consistent success. Yeah, I mean, it shows that that... that- Blood's culture thing is 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 something that gets spoken about a lot, doesn't it? And um, I mean, hearing it firsthand what it's actually like, um, it, it just explains why they've been so good for so long. And um, I mean, it, you touch on that the difference between living in Melbourne and Sydney and being an, an AFL player in two different cities. Like, did you enjoy like the you know, being out of the spotlight, or did, did you prefer having you know people recognise you on the streets, or did you like just you know casually being able to walk the streets and no, no one noticing you? 
Oh, let's be honest. We all love being noticed. We all love being noticed every now and then. But uh, you, know, you get that on weekends when you go and play interstate. But um, oh, look, yeah, it was. It's tough. It was fifty-fifty. Now I, I had a few um, issues there throughout my career where you, you wish you, you know, no one knew, and um, you know because your children, you know, my daughter used to get hassled and that at school a fair bit and stuff as well. So there's there's all the pros and the cons, and you know to to sit there. I, I like just being able to see what it's like outside of Victoria because when you are in Victoria, you're in the heartland of uh, AFL and you think that's all that matters. And, you know, as soon as you fly into Victoria, the first question anyone asks, who do you barrack for? And that's what, you know, we do love that. We love that about football. I love, you know, the tradition of all your Anzac days and, you know, your, your grand finals. I absolutely love the passion of Melbourne, but it's nice to be able to step back and just have a look at it and just go along your own business, get yourself ready, go down, play your game, get out, and, uh, you know, as you say, go down and do a beach recovery and, you know, have a few beers on a Sunday arvo and no one cares. So there's, there's absolutely two sides to it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. All right, let's uh, let's move on to your, your post-career and um, breakfast radio on the Gold Coast, and you've... You've got a, an amazing uh, travel show as well, the Great Australian Doorstep. That's all seems to be going really well. And how is life up there and and, and on radio? Yeah, look, I um, yeah, I was really lucky. You know, I played footy for for sixteen years and uh, travelled around Australia for a couple of years and did a, did our travel show, which is just you know really promoting travelling around Australia. Really, you know, just caravan and camping and and some of the remarkable and amazing places and. You know, we've been able to go into some fascinating and, and you know, if you, if you haven't been into some of these places around Australia, if you've never done the middle trip up the Stuart Highway of Cooper Pedy and Uluru and Mataranka and, you know, Kakadu and all that, you, you've got to get out there and see it, you know. And yeah, we're all guilty of going overseas, but I absolutely love it. Some of the, uh, some of the communities and people up around, uh, you know, the Northern Territory and the Kimberley area is, I, I just love the red dust for me. Absolutely love the red dust. And, you know, Bricky Radio, I was fortunate enough to start, you know, 11 years ago now on Bricky Radio here on the Gold Coast. And, um, yeah, again, very similar similar to footy. You know, so many of the, the same things apply. Your, you know, your coach or your boss will come in after the show and say, you did this right and this right and you did this wrong and change this. And maybe tomorrow I'll look at that and, you know, you do a lot of prep work, like, you know, training for footy. So there's a lot of things that are very similar. And, you know, I just... I love it. Like Brecky Radio, um, always something different happening each and every week. You, you could be doing a challenge to, to raise money for a local charity or, you, you know, it could be being thrown out of an aeroplane for a stunt or, you know, you could be just doing so many different things. And I've spoken about it a little bit. And we're in a fortunate position, especially over the last 18 months where, you know, we're right on the border, Queensland and New South Wales. And we understand we're, with COVID and whatever's happened over the last 18 months, you know, we've got plastic um, barriers, um, you know, stopping our listeners getting to see each other. So we've been on this each and every day where one side of the barrier, you've got a party of 100 and five metres away, you're not even allowed to have a party of two. So it's been a really interesting eye-opener for myself, but um, absolutely love, love the radio side of things. Yeah, sounds like an absolute whirlwind. And you touched on some of the places in Australia that we should all go visit, which comes to my next question. With lockdown coming to an end in most states, hopefully the next month or so, where do you recommend that some of us travel now that we're finally allowed to again and, and see our beautiful country? Uh, look, I'll give you 
Lady Elliot, which is a little island off um, you know, Queensland here. Uh, unbelievable. If you're into, into snorkeling, if you're into manta rays, if you're into, you know, reefs, you know, part of the Great Barrier Reef, you look at that, this is probably the best snorkeling you'll see around the world. And I'm not, I'm not kidding about that. It is unbelievable. And take the kids, you can walk, it's no driving. There's no, like the island's only tiny, only fits about 90 people as it is, but you can go out there and they educate you at the same time. So for me, Lady Elliot, and the other one, you've got to get out to the bush. You've got to get out to the camel races of Uluru or, or Bullia or maybe even the um, Birdsville races. But you've got to get out the big red out there, the big concert they put in, you know, just out of Birdsville. That, for me, as soon as you're driving and you hit that red dust, there's nothing like it. And you hit the back roads and then suddenly two hours of corrugation, you come you know, up to a pub and there's, you know, six or half a dozen people in there and they're your best mates in an hour and you're having a beer and you're chatting to them and just the people you meet and the stories out in Australian Outback is just, for me, fascinating and I absolutely love it. So head towards, uh, you know, Birdsville and the Red Dust or if you like the marine life, head out to Lady Elliot. Mate, you couldn't have sold that any better. I mean, that's been on my bucket list for a long time. So I'll uh, I'll be heading down there as soon as soon as we can. It sounds it sounds amazing. So yeah, it is. It yeah. is, and uh, it doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you get out there and enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right, mate. Well, uh, just before we wrap up, we, uh, we've we got a segment called The Pressure Cooker where we'll ask just a few quick fire questions and um, and then we'll, we'll finish up from there. So Quinn will play the sting and we'll get into it. Yeah, easy. All righty. I'll kick us off. Who's the best player you've played with? Oh, Robert Harvey. I think Robert Harvey would be the best by far. And which is the favourite game you think you've ever played in? Uh, I reckon Victoria versus South Australia, MCG. It was absolutely pissing down with rain, but I kicked a goal from 50 and I thought running out amongst some of the greats and beating South Australia, uh, even though they're pride of South Australia, we're able to knock them off. So, yeah, the the Victoria game, I used to love State of Origin. Yeah. Uh, Your favourite current day player? Oh, look, for me, I had to be a photo finish, Petrarca or the Bont and grand final day, it was just so good. So I'd probably go the Bont just over Petrarca. Just not much, though. Only because I've got a photo of him in my garage, which sounds wrong, but I do. <laughs> the nickname Stalker's coming back into play, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, don't ask how many I've got of Gary Ablett then. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Junior, keep, that is. We'll keep that between ourselves. And the last question of the pressure cooker, and I think you might have already answered this one, with the three clubs you obviously play for, but which team do you support now? Yeah, no, go the Saints. Uh, I love the St Kilda Footy Club and uh, you know I'll be involved in there one day I'll probably head back to Melbourne and hopefully the young fella can go father son so that's what we're aiming for that's what we're hoping for and uh, hopefully be part of the uh, the footy club once again soon I love it love it well that that's pretty much it Spider we uh, we absolutely love that it's been an absolute pleasure having you on mate and um, yeah we wish you all the best going forward and uh, with your travel show as well we'll make sure we tune into it and we visit all the recommendations you've you put forward so um, appreciate it again mate and yeah thanks for coming on no worries at all anytime uh, appreciate it thank you very much pleasure thanks Spider cheers <laughs>